can slow down right there. I'm not even going to ask you if it's good to see me. I'm worried about that. Anyways, always good to be in church. You ever make a bad decision? Really, you ever make a bad decision? Like, you know, like, like you went to the restaurant and bought the only thing on the menu that died in vain? That kind of a mistake. Or you get in the line. Ladies, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you, ladies, how you can buckle the knees of the strongest man on the planet. Get in front of him at Walmart. Make sure he's trapped in the line. And when you go to pay, pull out your change purse. <laughs> when my wife does that, I, I, I just want to shrivel up. When a woman from me does it, she starts going, uh, oh, here's, uh, you say seven cents? Okay, I get seven, pe- oh, oh, wait, that's a wheat penny. Uh, I, I saved those for my grandson. My grandson lives in, <laughs> I just want to throw 20s at her and go, here, take this, keep the change. Get that woman out of my way. I mean, just, you pick the wrong line. You make a mistake or, or you, you make a bad decision. What if I told you there's a way you could always make a good decision? 100% of the time, always a good decision. Go to church. That is always a good decision. Even if I'm preaching, it is a good decision. Well, I'll mention a couple things about the book table. And uh, this one, uh, we've had this book for a while. It's a charted history of the Bible. Um, and this brother is very, it's very thorough and very simple. I like those things. Uh, it, uh, it has a history of the manuscripts. Probably can't see it right because it's upside down. But anyway, uh, uh, it has a history of the manuscripts uh, it for the Old Testament. Then it also has uh, the New. This is the, uh, <clears throat> this is the section for the Alexandrian text. That's a bad text. Tells you how it all come, comes down through here. It gives you a little synopsis like the exa- Alexandrian text. It's just three paragraphs. Um, Vaticanus and Sinaiticus. Uh, Jerome's Latin Vulgate, uh, Wycliffe's first Bible into English in the uh, 1380, oh, uh, the uh, Middle English, uh, Douay Reims, and some of the other versions uh, that came from the uh, corrupt text, uh, Westcott and Hort, uh, two favorite ancestors of two other famous men, Abbott and Costello. <laughs> and then uh, this is, look, Look at the line for the good manuscript. Doesn't it just look better? And, and this is the Antiochian line. Comes right down through here. Uh, two paragraphs on what an autograph is. Guys, an autograph is not something you get on a baseball. What the the, the uh, writers of the scripture, the pet, the, those who pen the words, when, when they, they obviously wrote it out in, in longhand, and when they got done, because they wrote it by hand, that's called an autograph. Okay, so... Now you don't have to read these two, chap- these two paragraphs, but we're not cutting the price any. Um, the traditional text, uh, Erasmus Greek New Testament, Tyndale's Bible. Some of the pre-King James English Bibles and then the King James Bible. Uh, and I, I like, don't you think something ought to have a purpose for existing? Really, you know, like, like Biden. He makes me feel good about myself. <laughs> I knew there was a reason for him to be around. Um, but here's what I got. I, I got uh, people come up and they'll say, I didn't understand the nomenclature. People would say the Vaticanus. People would say the Vulgate. People would say Erasmus. And they said, I didn't understand that. And they said, I got that and read it one night. And he said, now I got it. So it is a very good book uh, in, that, uh, in that respect. Uh, this one. Uh, I got two of these. I'm working on a third one uh, called, uh, it's Fight On Stories. This is the second one, More Fight On Stories. I tell people, if 
Fight on, it's not about a Baptist business meeting, okay? But um, they are just uh, basically one-page stories. This one goes a little farther. It'd probably take you a couple days to read that one. But um, uh, just, just single-page stories of people. Now, they're not survival stories. You can survive by washing up on a shore, right? You had nothing to do with it. Uh, these are stories where people could have died, maybe should have given up, and just said, I'm going to keep on going. I appreciate people to keep on going. I really do. I can't tell you enough. Uh, and so um, uh, this is, uh, these are back there. Um, they cover everything from the Napoleonic Wars to the, to the uh, Gulf Wars. Uh, they cover plane wrecks, train wrecks, shipwrecks, floods, fires, volcanoes, grizzly bear attacks. Ooh, ooh. On the order of violence, grizzly bear attacks rank just below a Baptist business meeting. <laughs> and so, uh, so those are back there. Uh, this one, uh, this brother, we published for him. He is with the Lord. Uh, this brother went to uh, Vietnam as a lost man, got, got, uh, got into uh, intravenous drugs, and uh, got hepatitis C. Uh, he got saved. His liver did not get saved. Uh, he, he literally labored for eight years uh, with, with health, with a failing liver. He spent eight years on the mission field in Romania. And finally had to come back, got a liver transplant. That didn't work out too well. Uh, and so um, probably, I think, I think probably within about 60 days uh, of, uh, of him, us publishing this book for him, he went home to be with the Lord. Uh, it's called The Fight for Light, A Spiritual Battle with Chronic Illness. There are people that have chronic Illness. I don't have chronic illness. I really don't. Um, uh, but there are people, uh, MS, we're talking about somebody having MS today. And uh, uh, my pastor has been for the last 20 years fighting leukemia. Uh, some people diabetic. And so if you, if you have a chronic illness, this may be a help to you. If you have a lost friend that has a chronic illness and they don't like to hear stuff about the Bible, that book may help them. And there's a chapter in here on salvation. So, uh, so that one, <clears throat> that one is back, back there. <clears throat> and then this, uh, a while back we did, uh, we did seven, I call them production videos. And what we did is we took, like, like I'll teach on the King James Bible, one lesson will be like an hour and a half, maybe two hours long. And we reduced like an a, a hour and a half lesson to about 12 minutes. Now that doesn't mean it can be done. Okay, well, then why do you take so long? I, I get paid by the hour. Um, but really, they are, they are production videos. It's a young guy. He's asking questions. I'm giving the answers. And the, uh, they are on the internet as uh, what's the big deal about the KJV. They're on my website, or no, my, my YouTube channel. If you go to uh, YouTube, look for Sam Gipp channel. These are all the way down at the bottom, the first thing we put on. So they're all the way 300, 300 messages down. But um, the, the biggest, uh, how do I say it, the biggest testimony that we've gotten uh, is a, a Bible believer will send their ESV, NIV, you know, the new homosexual version, the HIV. Um, they will, uh, they will say, they said, I sent my modern version friend, and it says they came back saying it's got me thinking. Well, guys, that's what we need to do, get them thinking. Now, we've had some folks converted. I, uh, I, uh, Gabe here, uh, you, why would he come down from Montreal? Well, I owe people money all over the world. So keep him busy when I'm done. I'm going out a door here somewhere. But um, 
Uh, I'm sure this guy no longer has position, but about, about four years ago, uh, I heard that the guy that was over all of the Presbyterian churches in Canada went and looked at these videos and got, got straight down to King James Bible. So, so they, uh, they are helpful that way. Now, I, we did seven. This has nine, okay? What it has, uh, there's a guy in uh, Phoenix. Phoenix seems to burn the brains out of people. Uh, it burned out the brain of a guy named uh, Stuart, Stephen Anderson. It burned out the brain of a guy named uh, James White. Uh, and um, every time I would do one of these, James White would think he had to refute me, which he didn't, but it made him feel better. And so I waited until we got done with seven of them, and I made an eighth video that, that kind of uh, explains his problem. And then, I, and then because I was on Phoenix, uh, we did one on Stephen Anderson also. So, so those are back there. I told you my wife is back there. She will uh, take your money. We have been married 50 years. I can testify. That woman knows how to take money. You have no idea what a blessing it is to me to see her taking someone else's money. Anyway, all right, let me, let me get this message and then we'll go. Get started. Point one. You, you know, guys, I can, I can preach this whole message, or we could take a really large offering right now, and I can cut it short. <laughs> because I'm a Baptist preacher, I cannot be bullied or intimidated, but I can be bought. All right, uh, I, boy, this is something I almost hate to say. I really do. I just hate to say it, because I don't like the sound of it, and what I hate even more is that it's true. Now, I am, I, I kind of recycle. I kind of recycle, okay? So what do you mean? Well, I change the oil in my, my truck, and I'm pouring on the ground. Some guy said, what are you doing? You can't do that. I said, why? He's got to take you recycle. He said, that's what I'm doing. Well, did it come out of the ground? Okay. I mean, we got direct access here. But I hate to say this. I hate to say this. God recycles. He does. No, not your plastic bottles or your whatever. You know, we, we had three boys, and, and I always taught them, put the plastic where it says glass. Put the styrofoam where it says plastic. Where it put, you know, put the paper where it says wood. You say, why, why would you do that? Because we don't go to that church. Amen. That's the reason. I tell them, I said, we don't go to that church. We don't worship this dirt ball, okay? Uh, I was telling, uh, I, think was, I think it was him the other day this morning, um, I was in, going through a parking lot, and there was an old Volkswagen bus, and on the back bumper, it said, there's a bumper sticker, the earth is your mother, be kind to your mother. And just then, the owner was walking up to, you could tell, long-haired, seedy-looking, pimple-faced granola that probably had more diseases than the Center for Disease Control has names for. And, and he starts to unlock the door of this VW van, so I just stopped, I put down both windows, and I said, hey, buddy, just want to let you know. I spit on your mother. <laughs> you say, what did he do? Uh, well, he was obviously a high school graduate. He showed me he could count to one. <laughs> I felt bad about that for a good three seconds. So I'm not a big recycler, okay? I really think that God takes care of the whole thing. But God recycles. True, that's not a catchy title. God recycles. What is, what is recycling? It's when you take something that you think was used up or whatever and somehow put it back in action. 
That's what, they, that's what recycling is. And so we're going to look at this. Uh, I want you to go, if you will, to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. And in 1 Samuel chapter 16, look at verse 1. So the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him uh, from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil, and go, I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, <clears throat> for I have provided me a king among his sons. And you go down to verse 12, and it says, And he sent and brought him, talking about, uh, you know, when they invited everybody to... to uh, Jesse was going to bring all of his sons, except David. <coughs> and so, he, you know, God says, that's not the guy, that's not the guy, that's not the guy. And look what Samuel says. Let's go look at verse 11. Uh, and Samuel said to Jesse, are here all thy children? And he said, there remaineth yet the youngest. And behold, he, remain, he keepeth the sheep. Because uh, Jesse knew if anybody's going to be king, it isn't going to be the runt. Uh, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto him, uh, said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and with all a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Let's pray. Father, we thank you now, God, for your goodness and your grace. We have none. Really, God, we have, uh, according to Scripture, no good or no goodness. And as far as grace, we're, we're probably lacking a lot in that also. Lord, we're dirt balls. And everything good about us, you make it that way. So we thank you, God. Not that you just, uh, just that you save us, but you save us. And then uh, through the input of this book and the lessons of life, you try to improve us because we have a lot of room to improve. And God, these folks came tonight. Uh, like the preacher said, it's Friday night. And he wouldn't have been in church on a Friday night before he got saved. I would have been in church on a Friday night before I got saved. And I like to see people. I like to see people come to church. But because this is not a church night, God, the fact that these people are all here, that means that every single person here, there's something they're usually doing at 7 o'clock on Friday night. And every one of them here told you that they'd rather be in church for you than what they usually do. So I hope, I hope God, you're already blessed by their decision. And I pray, God, they are blessed for their decision. Now, Father, there is a message here to be preached. I know it's the message. I know it's the message you want preached tonight. Um, if there is anything that can hinder the message, it is Sam Gipp. And you know all the problems, God. You know all the, the, uh, the things that can prevent your message from getting delivered. So I ask you, Father, please speak to the hearts of your people. Get Sam Gipp out of their way, out of your way, and accomplish your purpose. And each life represented in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. So this is when, uh, when God chose David, made it very plain, uh, that he chose David to be Saul's replacement <clears throat> as the king of Israel. Uh, without a doubt, not only was he was the first, he was the first king of Israel that God chose. Uh, Israel wanted a king, and he gave him Saul. He said, I don't want to do that. Didn't want, I just gave him, yeah, you want a king? Okay, how do you like it? But the first one that David chose... I mean, the first one that God chose <coughs> was David. And I have no doubt that he's the greatest king 
that Israel's ever had. I know about Solomon, uh, and I know that Solomon's fame uh, went uh, far and wide, uh, and there have been some outstanding kings uh, in the past of Israel. I think the latest was uh, Benjamin Netanyahu. I'm glad to hear about him. But, but the fact is that this is when God chose David to be his king. Now, let's go to a portion of Scripture that you are familiar with, probably too familiar with. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 11. <coughs> 2 Samuel chapter 11. And look at verse 1. It came to pass after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. Uh, and they destroyed the, the, the children of Ammon and besieged Reba, but David tarried still at Jerusalem. Guys, verse 1 is possibly the greatest verse in the Bible to simply say, do your job. Because if he would have done his job, he would have been out to war, correct? And every woman in Jerusalem could take a bath on her housetop, and there's no way anything bad could have happened. So the problem was he just wasn't doing his job. And I don't think he was a coward, but he just decided, you know, I think I'll take this war off. And it came to pass in evening tide that David arose from off his bed and he walked upon the roof of the king's house. Uh, and from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her. And she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and he returned unto her own house. In one word, adultery. David committed adultery. Now, now I don't want to soft pedal these two sins. There are two great sins that we know of, murder and adultery. But they are not the greatest sins that there are. Uh, here's why we think that those are the worst sins, because we're humans. And the worst thing that can happen to a human, well, you know, if somebody, if somebody takes your wife, they ruin your marriage. If they take your life, they ruin your whole day. But those are the worst horizontal sins, man to man. Right. You know what's odd? Because God says, thou shalt not kill. And if you kill, your blood should be shed. Your, your, your blood should be shed. And how many people in the Bible kill and never had their blood shed, including Cain? How about Moses? How about David? And they, they killed somebody. Uh, David was supposed to die for adultery. He did not die for adultery. But you got a guy... I believe it is in Leviticus chapter 24 that he got mad and it says he took the, names, the Lord's name in vain. And they said, well, what should we do? And the Lord said, kill him. Right. I mean, if I brought two guys up here tonight and I said, now look, uh, we're going to get to kill somebody tonight. Baptists should enjoy that. And uh, in fact, doubly good, we're going to vote on who we kill. I mean, the only thing we'd have to have with this is fried chicken, and that just make it the whole great, great thing. And you say, okay, okay, what did this guy do? I said, well, this guy murdered somebody. Oh, well, I don't even have to hear about this guy, because this guy is the guy that should die. What did this guy do? Well, he was working on the car, came up like this, caught the hood latch right there, and oops, said something he shouldn't have said, took God's name in vain. And all of you would go, oh, well, you know, I mean, we all done that. <laughs> Yeah, we've all done that. Maybe we haven't all done that. And you know what, God? God get, let this guy have the pass. And he said, kill the guy that took my name in vain. You know why that doesn't set well with you? Because you're not God. Right. You're human. And you think any sin that goes horizontal against man is the worst sin there is. So let's kill somebody else. I mean, we're on a roll. 
So we bring these two guys up here, one guy over here, one guy over here. And you say, okay, now we're going to vote again. We're going to kill a guy. What did this guy do? He committed adultery. Oh, well, right there, you got it. I mean, next to murder, that is it. Uh, just uh, for the record, what did this guy do? Well, it was Sunday, uh, and uh, we caught him picking up sticks on the Sabbath. Well, come on, guys. I mean, really, let's, haven't we all, well, I mean, you know, let's not make a big deal. And you know what they, when they, in the book of Numbers, they caught a guy picking up sticks on the Sabbath, and it says they put him in hold, and they went to God and said, what should we do with him? God said, stone him till he's dead. And you let this guy pass. Because the greatest sins, guys, you, you, you know that the Ten Commandments, well, I was looking for a cross. They, oh, no, you don't have a cross here. They make a cross. There are vertical commandments. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, right? And there are horizontal commandments. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, etc. and so forth. And we always make a big deal out of these. And we really don't make a big deal out of these. So I, but I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not diminishing these because that right there has gotten a lot of guys out of the ministry. But now it cost him. It cost him. Uh, let me show you what it cost him. Uh, chapter 12. Uh, and the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little hewed lamb, which he had bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children, and did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb. And dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. Uh, and he said unto Nathan, as the Lord liveth. Now watch David's, watch David's judgment on this sin that he thinks has taken place. He, he has a twofold judgment. The first one. The man that hath done this thing shall surely die. We call that capital punishment. I don't call that capital. I don't believe in capital punishment. I don't. I don't. Um, I believe not. Isn't this true? You ever punish your children? Well, you didn't kill them. Maybe that was where I went wrong. Anyway, um, don't you learn from being punished? You, it's punishment you learn from. Well, you know when, when they kill you, you don't learn nothing? <laughs> so I don't call it capital punishment. I call it the death sentence. There are people that do things that, that are worthy of death. And that's what David said. He said, I want this guy. I'm giving him a death sentence. But he's not done yet. And he's restored the lamb fourfold because he did this thing because he had no pity. So he says, the guy's going to die, but he's going to have to give this guy four lambs. Before he dies, he's going to give him four lambs for the one that he, that, he, that he took. And Nathan said to David, thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul, and I gave thee thy master's house, thy master's wives unto thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel uh, and of Judah. Uh, and if that had been too little, I would moreover have given uh, unto thee such and such things. And then, you ever say such and such? I wonder how many people say that don't know they're quoting the King James Bible. 
such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment uh, of the Lord uh, to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, that's murder, and taken his wife to be thy wife, that's adultery, and has slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from thy house, uh, because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil. He goes, well, look, look at it. Go down to verse 13. That's what I want you to see. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. Okay. What was the judgment that David had declared on this man who he thought took a lamb? He should die. What was the other part? Lose four lambs. Didn't God just negate this part? You got to die. Do you see anywhere where God said, you don't have to pay the lambs? No. And he paid for the lamb. He paid the lambs. In this very chapter, she gives birth and that child dies. Uh, and then you get um, Absalom and, uh, and Absalom die. Oh no, Amnon. Amnon, Amnon commits uh, a horrible sin with his sister and, and Absalom kills him. And here's what I think. <clears throat> I think about the time Amnon died. I wonder if David didn't go, oh, I wonder if I'm going to lose two more. Because remember all the rebellion that Absalom brought into Israel and what he said, oh, no, 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 no. Whatever you do, deal softly with, the, with Absalom. And when he found out he was dead, what did he say? He said, oh, Absalom, my son, my son, I would, God, that I had died. And then, then David died. Oh, but that's only three, isn't it? But as soon as he died, Adonijah pulls an Absalom and tries to make himself king. And he ends up dead. He lost the four lambs. But guys, did you notice that God said, your sin is gone and you're not going to die and didn't God continue to use him for a long time? I call that recycling. Uh, you know, Baptists are great for having all kinds of conditions why a preacher cannot preach. Uh, I, was with a, uh, I was with a preacher one time. He's driving. Uh, I almost wrecked his car. And the way I did it, uh, he said this. He said, well, Brother Gip, uh, I, like I've never heard this question. Uh, what do you think of divorce and remarriage as a grounds for uh, disqualification from the ministry? Now, Here's what I believe, guys. I don't believe convictions are a line on a piece of paper where you check yes or no. Do you believe the King James Bible? Yes or no. Do you believe Jesus is God? Yes or no. I don't believe that. A conviction is what you feel in here, okay? And I said, and I told him that. I said, I don't think a conviction is a, piece of, a line on a piece of paper. Uh, I said, I think if you have a heartfelt conviction that a man who's divorced and remarried cannot uh, be in a ministry, you have an illegitimate conviction. Well, the guy liked to wreck his car. He said, how can you say that? I said, well, I don't know if you've read your Bible, but in 1 Timothy chapter 3, that one little thing about husband and one wife is in a list of 16 qualifications. And if you go to Titus chapter 1, there's 16 there. And if you superimpose the list and check out the doubles, there's 22 qualifications between between 1 Timothy 3 and, and, and Titus chapter 1, there are 22 qualifications that God put on being a pastor. And I said, God made 22 qualifications. And I said, if you make a big deal out of one and ignore 21 others, you're not honest. 
And he goes, he goes, well, if that's right, nobody's qualified to preach. I said, whoa, whoa, I didn't make up the list. Yeah, he was like, he's mad at me. I said, well, no, I didn't put that in there. He said, well, you must preach for men who you think aren't qualified. I said, absolutely. Why? I said, I need the money. <laughs> you know what I believe? I believe this. I believe that I am, I am allowed to think a man should not be in a ministry. I am not allowed to try to get him out. And I base it on two things. Really, guys, I base it on two things. Um, Saul, the guy that preceded, preceded uh, David, he's two years in. It's uh, 1 Samuel chapter 13. You have to go there. 1 Samuel chapter 13, about verse 8. Uh, Samuel, he's waiting for Samuel. Samuel doesn't show up. Wouldn't you know a guy named Samuel would be late. And so Saul goes, you know what? I'm just going to have to make this offering. Saul was not a priest. And he had no business trying to usurp the office of a priest. And no sooner, isn't this how it is, just when you give up and you think they're not going to be here, so you go ahead and do it, they show up. So here he is, man. He's making this offering, and Samuel shows up. You know what he said? You're fired. Yeah, he said, now he's been king for two years. He said, your kingdom will no longer continue. God's going to get a man after his own heart. Saul got fired as king two years into his reign and sat on the throne 38 more years. Now, you know what I have? I have scriptural proof that God can keep a man on the throne 32 years after he's fired him. Now, I used to do this when Dr. Ruckman was alive, and I always had to, I always had to insert this. I'd say, now think of some preacher that you think is not qualified to be in ministry. Think of a different one. <laughs> no R's. But... Guys, if, you, if there's somebody you think should not be in a ministry and you have a reason, a disqualification, one of those 22, because I can show you something, guys. I can show you guys who have never committed adultery and they are not given hospitality. And it's the same list. I can show you guys who are given hospitality uh, and have never committed adultery and the children in their home are absolute banshees. Whoa. Well, then you're not, you're going to disqual I'm not going to disqualify anybody. God made the list. And apparently God uses some guys that you and I think shouldn't be in the ministry. That's why I'm allowed to think that. I'm just not allowed to get him out. And so you think somebody shouldn't be in a ministry, God may have fired him 18 years ago. He's still got another 10 years to go. No, he's still got another 20 years to go. You want to mess with that? I mean, don't you think God can take care of this? My second reason is this. Everybody knows about what happened in Acts chapter 12. In Acts chapter 12, Herod makes a speech. God doesn't like the result. And Herod is dead before sundown. I say this again. Think of somebody in the ministry right now that you think is not qualified to be in the ministry, and you may well be right. They still may have years on the clock of the 38 years. But secondly, couldn't have God killed him yesterday? Couldn't God have killed him yesterday? Or the day before? Or tomorrow. And I figured this. If God didn't kill him, I'm not going to. So I never try to get a guy in the ministry. I never try to get a guy out. But if there's ever been a terrible sin, it was this man committed murder, adultery, and murder. You know, you hear about preachers committing adultery. I, I preached in a church in Missouri where the pastor had an affair with a woman in the church and murdered her husband. 
walked into his insurance office one day while he had his back turned, put a gun to his head, blew his brains out. He said, okay, now he's gone, we can get married. The guy's doing time now. Well, you think, you, how would you like to go into that town and, and put that one back together? But guys, if God would, this guy committed adultery and murder, and God still, God still recycled him. Just when you would say he's totally useless. Do you know there's, you, you need to read your Bible from 2 Samuel 12 on and see all the great things that David did after he maybe shouldn't have been king anymore, after he should have been killed. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't agree with all of God's decisions. Don't kid yourself, pal. Don't say, oh, me and God always agree. You're not reading your Bible. God makes some decisions that I don't agree with. He makes some decisions in my life that I don't agree with. In fact, I'm going to give you another prayer. I'll give you a prayer. I think I gave this prayer to your, to, to uh, Brother Steve's brother over there in uh, Seneca Falls. And here is the prayer. It is okay to tell God in prayer, I disagree with what you're doing right now. It's okay to say that. As long as you finish it with, but you're right and I'm wrong. You got to finish it with that part or there's things like lightning, burnt spots on the carpet, loud screaming, writhing. Is God ever wrong? Oh, come on, don't sit there and go, yes, and I always agree with God. You're on drugs. Yeah. Some of you are still mad at God about something you disagree with. Isn't that true? Yeah. And so, and honest, I, I, I remember one time, last time I prayed this, I was so angry. I said this through gritted teeth. I highly disagree with what's going on in my life right now. But don't worry, I know who the idiot is in this picture. It's always me. Now, I don't know about you. You would, you would be shocked at the peace that gives me. Because I know I'm always wrong. Come on, didn't you ever, didn't you ever lose, lose an argument, but you knew you were right? I lose every argument with God. But it's so nice to know he's always right. He's just always right. And so, guys, here is a man who committed murder and adultery, should have died right then and there, and God instead chose to recycle him. So why is that? Yeah, maybe you could describe it as uh, mercy and grace. Because that is, those are two of his attributes. Uh, I want you to look with me to, to a portion of Scripture that is, that is uh, certainly not unknown to you. Go to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. <clears throat> and in Mark chapter 1, look at verse 16. This is early in the Lord's ministry. It says this, Now as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you become, to become fishers of men. That is the call to, to the disciples, to the apostles, correct? Now, I don't, I, don't, uh, I don't personally think that Peter, certainly wasn't the first pope. Uh, I don't even think he was the greatest apostle. I think the greatest Christian that ever lived was, was the apostle Paul. But I, I have an affinity for Peter. I just like Peter. I describe Peter this way. He only opened his mouth to change feet. You guys, um, 
You know what RAM is on your computer? Random access memory. That is, you know, I was telling somebody the other day, first computer I had didn't even have a hard drive. I mean, it had a crank on the side. And then I got one with the biggest hard drive you could, so you never had to buy another one, 20 megabytes. That watch has more memory than that. But random access memory, you got all the stuff in, in memory, but when you use a file, you put it in rammed, random access memory, and, you, and that's where you work. And I always say it this way, Peter had very small RAM. Like he could only have one thought at a time. And sometimes it was a good thought, sometimes it was a not so good thought. But it didn't matter because he only had one and he couldn't get the next one until the first one went out and the first one usually went out his mouth. So here is uh, Jesus Christ, he walks up to the apostles, they're talking quietly and he says, hey, who do men say that I the son of man am? And, oh, well, some say you're Elijah, some say you're one of Jeremiah, some say you're one of the prophets. Oh, who do you guys say that I am? You think they hadn't talked about that? And I am telling you, 11 of them choked right there. I think they all believed he was the Christ, the son of the living God. But 11 of them weren't about to let those words come out of their mouth. But Peter, he had one thought in his mind. He said, who do you guys say that I am? And Peter says, thou art the Christ, son of the living God. Wasn't that beautiful? Yeah. But he has a problem now. Ram is empty. And a new thought came in before the chapter is over where the Lord said, they're going to kill me. And Peter stood up and said, oh, they're not going to kill you. I'm going to die. And he says, get thee behind me, Satan. So I like Peter. This is one of the greatest apostles. And he got called there. But who doesn't know about this? Look at chapter 16. And uh, Mark chapter, well, it's not 16. It is, ouch, I'm sorry, excuse me. Um, I'll find it. I know what I want. I want Matthew. Go to Matthew. Keep, uh, keep, keep Mark chapter 16 here, but go to Matthew, because there's something we're going to look at in, uh, in Mark 16. And go to Matthew Chapter, just about there. Did I say 26? Yes, 26, 69. Matthew chapter 6, 26, 69. Now Peter sat without at the palace, in the palace, uh, and a damsel came unto him, saying, Thou also was with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied before them all, saying, I know not what thou sayest. Uh, he, uh, uh, and when he was gone out uh, into the porch, he wanted to get out of there. He get out of, the, get out of the area. Another maid saw him and said unto them that were there, this fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied with an oath. You know what, they, you know what he said? First time he said, I don't even know him. The second time he said, I swear to you. It'd be like a guy saying, on my word as a Biden. I actually heard those words come out of his mouth. He doesn't remember ever saying it. 
But he said, with an oath, I do not know the man. And after a while came unto him, they stood by and said to Peter, uh, surely thou also art one of them, for thy speech bereath thee. You know what he's saying? People from Galilee had an accent. All people in our country have an accent. New Yorkers here don't have an accent, but you know the ones in New York City? They have an accent. And then you go to Bahaba, and they have an accent. And then you go down south, and they can't even talk. Okay? But people have an accent. They said, you, your accent's Galilean. You are. You were with him. And look at verse 74. Then began he to curse and to swear. He's not just, he's not just denying Christ. He's not just saying, I swear on my father's grave. He is using fisherman language. He's using some of that language you guys used before you got saved, when you wanted to stress a point. Began to curse and swear, saying, I know not the man, and immediately the cock crow. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said unto him, uh, before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. I don't know what you have done. Now, now look, I'm not asking for confessions here, okay? So keep your hands in your pockets. Don't raise them. Don't say amen or anything like this. But anything you've done since you're saved that you're not too proud of? Anything, any failings? Any place you let the Lord down big time? Aren't you glad it isn't in the Bible? But you know what I'm going to bet? I'm going to bet whatever you did, you did not publicly use foul language and four-letter words to tell the people that you were standing around, I don't even know who that guy is, this Jesus guy you're talking about. I mean, guys, I'm a miserable person. I'm a wretched sinner. I have failed the Lord a lot in the last 52 years. I never did that. I never did what he did. But watch what happens. Go back to uh, Mark. And look what it says. Verse 6. He saith unto them, Be not affrighted. Uh, You see Jesus, the angel talking. You see Jesus of Nazareth which was crucified, he is risen, uh, he is not here, behold the place where they laid him, but go, the, go your way, tell his disciples and Peter. Why do you say and Peter? I wonder somebody disqualified himself when he denied the Lord. So he said, you know why he said and Peter? Tell the disciples and Peter that goeth before them into Galilee, there shall you see him as he said unto you. Because when they showed up, and here's the whole crowd, minus Judas, here's the 11. He said, guys, we saw the Lord. He is risen. The angels told us we saw the empty grave. And he said to come and tell his disciples to go up to Galilee, and he's going to see you guys there. Man, I'm telling you, 10 of them would have packed up their bags. They'd have been wahooing and amen and hallelujah. And one of them would have just sat there. And as the ten headed for the door, somebody said, Pete, ain't you coming? Yeah, no, I'm not coming. I'm not coming. Don't you want to see him? I'd love to see him. 
Man, I'd love to take a hold of the hem of his garment. I'd, I'd love to touch him. But I'm not welcome. Because he called for his disciples. And I know you guys ran too. But none of you did what I did. And when he said disciples, I know he didn't include me. And he said, yeah. And, and, and the, the one that brought the message says, oh, that must be why he said what he said. Well, what did he say? He said, tell my disciples and Peter. He didn't say that. You're the only one he named. He wants you in Galilee too. You're in, buddy. Whoa. This guy denied the Lord. What an opportunity. I don't believe this. I don't believe for a second that if he just said, yes, I was with, with Jesus of Galilee, I don't think they'd have killed him. But he was afraid they would. And he denied him. And the Lord said, I'll still use you. Hey, it was after that denial that that same guy with small ram penned two inspired books in your Bible. Boy, aren't you glad? Well, maybe some of you aren't glad that he reinstated Peter. Your Bible would be two books short. You'd, you might read it if it was a little two books shorter. But guys, God recycled Peter. Peter was, Peter was, I think he thought he was out. And maybe he was because God said, tell my disciples and Peter. He did not include Peter in the group, but he did include Peter, Peter in the invitation. So, aren't you glad? I'll bet you Dave is glad that God recycles. And I'll bet you Peter is glad that, that God recycles. But I talked to you about the greatest Christian that ever lived. I want you to go, if you will, with me to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. And just like you saw with David and just like you saw with, uh, with Peter, you find the call of Paul. Verse 1. Acts 13, verse 1. Now there were in the church, it was at Antioch, certain <clears throat> prophets and teachers as, as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Mannion which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered unto the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And not only did God, I, and again, I really do, I think that, that Paul was the greatest Christian ever lived, but you know what happens here? One of the most important things that happens in a Christian in, in the history of the church, God opens the door of foreign mission. You know, I, um, obviously I've preached in this church before. And uh, when I go into a new church where I've never been and I, and I, I do go into them, uh, when I go into a new church, you know what I look for? I look for two things. I'm interested in two things. They're usually on the wall. The first thing I look for is a track rack. Do you know I look for a track rack? Because the Lord said in Acts chapter, chapter 1, verse uh, 8 and 9, he said, I want you to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. Auburn is your Jerusalem. Montreal is your Jerusalem. Rochester is your Jerusalem. Elbridge is your Jerusalem. I didn't hear where you were from, brother. And, and Markville is, is Bryant's Jerusalem. Okay? So when I see a track rack, that tells me that the church cares about their Jerusalem. And then I look for some sort of mission display. I want to know, are they after the uttermost part of the earth? 
because that, that was in it too, correct? And I'm telling you guys, it's, so, it's neat to see how different churches display their missionaries. I was in this church in Texas, and I'll never forget it. Uh, they, had a, they had a map of their city. It was a little city, about the size of this, this room, had 8,000 people in it. But um, they, uh, they had a map of their city, and over top of it, it said, Our Jerusalem. Well, oh, that's cool. And next to it, they, they had a map of Texas, and it said, Our Judea. That is classy. Next to that, they had a map of the United States and said, which was smaller than the map of Texas, by the way, but you, you have to understand Texans. But they had a map of the United States that said, Our Samaria, and then they had a world map, but it was part of the world. I thought that was so cool. And so Paul, God uses Paul to open the door to world missions. God used the apostle Paul to write 14 books in your New Testament. He wrote more than half of the New Testament. And Paul did one of the most rebellious things you could see. See, Paul didn't commit adultery and Paul didn't kill anybody and Paul didn't, didn't actively deny Jesus Christ, but he did something that, that I'll bet you, every one of you, I'm, I'm on this, I'll bet you every one of you did at least once in your life. He just ignored what the Holy Spirit told him to do. You know, I always like when Peter, people say this, they say this to God, here's their prayer. Lord, just tell me what you want me to do. Oh. Um, you got a second choice? Isn't it funny? We always say God doesn't talk to me when he finally does. We don't like what he said. Because take a look at what happens. Look at, and it happened. Guys, guys. Well, he not only went against the Holy Spirit, but he went against the Holy Spirit not once and not twice. Three times. Three times God said, I don't want you to do that. And three times he said, I'm doing it anyway. Come on. Isn't that our sin? I mean, whatever it is, the I don't want you to do that, that may be different in all of our lives, but the attitude is the same, is it not? I don't care what you want me to do. I'm going to do it anyway. Look at Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Paul wants to go to Jerusalem. Paul always sought, he always sought acceptance from Jerusalem and never got it. And every time he went to Jerusalem, he ended up having some kind of a problem because he wasn't called to the Jews. He loved the Jews. He wasn't called to the Jews. Look at verse 22. He says, and now, uh, behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city. Whoa, whoa, I just said once. Doesn't it sound like the Holy Spirit caught, caught him in every city he was in? I haven't done it. You can do it if you want. But backtrack and see how many cities he stopped at. Because he was probably in a city, and he says, uh, somebody said, where are you going to go next? Yeah, I, yeah, I, I think I'm going to go to Jerusalem. Holy Spirit said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. Where are you going to go? Uh, go to Lystra. Well, okay. But he went to Lystra. Somebody said, where are you going to go? I think I'm going to go to Jerusalem. Holy Spirit said, no. In every city. So by, by that right there, he might have heard it eight or nine times already. Don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go to Jerusalem. But God recorded it once. Say, the Holy Ghost witnesseth 
in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. I'll look at chapter 21. In chapter 21, look at verse, oh, pick it up by verse 3. Now, when we had discovered Cyprus, <clears throat> we left it on the left hand and sailed into Syria uh, and landed at Tyre, and there the ship was unlaid her burden. And finding disciples, we tarried there seven days, who said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. I mean, don't you think at some point, look, don't you think at some point he ought to get to hit? I mean, time, 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 and time again. You're not done yet. Look at verse 10. And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. And when he was come unto us, he took Saul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Guys, I mean, if anybody heard from God, and, and I, don't, I don't know. In Acts chapter 16, didn't he say, you know, somebody, where are you going? Hey, guys, let's go into Asia. Holy Spirit said, I, won't go, I don't want you to go into Asia. Okay, okay. Hey, guys, uh, we're going to go into Bithynia. Holy Spirit said, I don't want you to go to Bithynia. Okay, where do you want to go? I want you to go to Macedonia. And open the gospel into Europe. He had heard from the Holy Spirit where he should not go and had obeyed in the past. But time and again, time and again, he went there. What happens? Chapter, chapter 21, he goes in there. He gets arrested. He gets beaten. And he gets thrown in prison. And I'll, be just, I'll just be very honest with you. I mean, I don't know how many times God has told you not to do something. You did it. But have you ever gotten to the point where you said, you have, got to be, you have got to be just fed up with me. You're done with me. And that's what I see the Apostle Paul, as he sits in a jail cell in Acts chapter 23, and he's going, he told me not to come here. I mean, he told me, oh, must have been a dozen times, and I came here anyway. I know I'm done. I know he's finished with me. And I want to show you one of the greatest verses in the Bible for what happens. Look at verse 11. 23.11, and the night following, the Lord stood by him and said, be a good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. You know why that's one of the greatest verses in the Bible? Didn't you see it? Does anybody see the apostle Paul on his knees confessing the sin and asking for forgiveness? Who initiated the reconciliation between God and Paul? God did. Man, that's, it's all I can do to have my socks not get knocked off on that one. I mean, it wasn't, wouldn't it make more sense if he was down crying, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, you told me not to come here, I did, and, and I know why you would, would you please? And then, and then the Lord say that? He didn't pray that. God initiated the reconciliation and used him again. And this is 60 A.D. He wrote about six more books after this. Man, if we could have got rid of uh, Peter and Paul, there might only be about 58 books in your Bible. That'd be easier reading. 
But isn't it amazing that when somebody says, he's got to be done with me now, God says, who told you that? I didn't. I'll use you. Yeah, but you know what I did? I guess if anybody knows what you did, I know what you did. And I'll use you again. Now, I know what you're going to say. Yeah, but I'm not, like, I'm not like David, and I'm not like Peter, and I'm not like Paul, because, because those three all were anointed by God in some way. One was chosen to be a king, one was chosen to be an apostle, one was chosen to be another apostle uh, and carry, uh, open up New Testament missions. And I'm nobody special. Let me show you something. Now, what I'm going to show you does not set well with me, but it's still true. I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. First Corinthians chapter 5. Look what it says in verse 1. This is one of the most heinous things found in the history of the New Testament church. <clears throat> no surprise that it's found in Corinth. It was the most carnal church, as far as we can tell. It is reported commonly that there's fornication among you and not and such fornication as is not so much named, uh, much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. You know what the Bible says? There's two, there's two very, very bad descriptions. Descriptions of bad, descriptions of evil. The descriptions are good. They're very, they're, they're very clear in the Bible that I think our country, I'm sorry, fits. Uh, in Genesis chapter, I think it's 6, where God is about to reign for 40 days and kill everybody but eight people. You know what he says about the earth? Their imagination is only evil continually. Now, we have been in every state. We have been in California. And you ever see that, a picture of those big white letters on the hillside in Hollywood says Hollywood? Yeah, we've seen the picture. We've been there. We've seen it. I mean, there it is on the hillside, Hollywood. And I've often thought, you know what they need to put in smaller letters, but readable underneath it? Hollywood. Their imagination is only evil continually. Does that not describe Hollywood? Uh, and the other, the other definition is, uh, I want to say it's uh, First Chronicles, I want to say chapter 16, under the reign of Manasseh, worst king they ever had. And you know how he, he described what Manasseh had done to Israel? He said he's made them worse than the heathen. God's chosen people, the Jews, the people that he wanted to be segregated and separated from the world, the people that he wanted to be a, a, a priest, a nation of priests, that there was, a, there, was, there was a peculiar treasure to him. His chosen people, the ones supposed to be special. He said they're worse than the heathen. Guys, I preach in New Guinea. I preach, there's one place that I preach that when I land in Mount Hagen, the mission station is about 35 miles away. It takes six and a half hours to get there. Two and a half hours by highway, four hours by hellway. Okay, I mean, it is rugged and rough. I have preached to people, I preached to people that wear grass and tree bark skirts. They do that. They, you, know, you ever see a veneer? They will take tree bark and veneer it, and they wear it around them as a skirt. Sometimes it's grass, sometimes it's tree bark. 
I have preached to people who have eaten people. Always worries me when I go to New Guinea. Well, here's what bothers me. I get up and I go, I'm glad to be here. And my New Guinea interpreter says, he goes on for about a half an hour. And I'm always afraid he's going, hey, let's eat to white guy. And if I went not to the saved people in New Guinea, if I went to the heathen in New Guinea and said, in my country, the United States, this great superpower, super rich nation who's touched all corners of the earth, we let men marry men. And you know what they'd say? Are you kidding? We don't allow that. If I said... We say that men can have babies. What do you think those folks in New Guinea would think? If I said, well, we think that a man can be born a man, but he, uh, a man can be born a woman, but he's really a man, and so we let him become a woman, and, and we have some women that we let become men. Brother, don't try to give them the gospel after that. You know what we are, guys? Worse than the heathen. Worse than the heathen. And he said, the Gentiles were heathen. And they're bed hopping and doing all these terrible things. But he said, they don't sleep with their father's wife. And you're the church. You did worse than them. And he said, turn him over to Satan for destruction of his flesh. Look at 2 Corinthians. Look at 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians, chapter 2. And I, I, I got to admit, I got to admit, this doesn't set with me. So set well with me, but God's right, I'm wrong. Verse 3. I wrote the same unto you, lest when I came I should have sorrow from them of whom I ought to rejoice, having confidence in you all. That my joy is the joy of you all. For, uh, for out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote unto you uh, with many tears, not that ye should be grieved, but that ye might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. But if any have caused grief, he hath not grieved me, and in part that I may not over, overcharge you all, sufficient to such a man is this punishment which was afflicted of many. He is referring back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and the sentence that he gave, not Corinthians gave, he gave to this guy. So that contrawise, contra, 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 isn't contra if I'm going this way? Isn't contra this way? Okay, so what direction were they going since 1 Corinthians chapter 5? Turning over Satan for the destruction of his flesh. And he just said, okay, we're going contrawise. We're turning this thing around. So that contrawise, you ought to rather, rather to forgive him and comfort him. Lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. That guy wasn't ordained to be king. He wasn't an apostle. 
that guy had no special relationship with God. You know what we call this guy? A church member. And he said, turn him over to Satan for the, for the destruction of his flesh. And that was one year earlier. One year. And a year later he said, okay, guys, forgive him and welcome him back in. You know one of the things that I tell people, I believe in church discipline, I really do. Really, I mean, you think? You think he was so low in numbers that he gave, man, I'll even get that guy there. Yeah, get that guy that really messed up. And we are so hard up. Guys, are we not hard up for people that'll work in this country? Yes, we are. I saw uh, a uh, job for hire sign. It said, now hiring anyone who will show up. You don't have to have a special skill. Get out of bed and show up. Well, you know, you, you and me here. Eight o'clock in the morning, five days in a row, and I have to lift things up and carry them? Yeah. Brother, that's why, they're, that's why they got guys like me at McDonald's. Because if the computer goes down, Junior can't add two plus two and come up with the same answer. You know what 2 plus 2 is. It's 15. Well, it, it is. It used to be 4, but now we've adjusted for inflation. <laughs> you know what I see? I see God recycled and recycled and recycled and really recycled a guy that I don't know that I'd want to recycle. I mean... I'll be honest with you, I'd probably be a little bit prejudiced in favor of David. And for sure, I would be leaning in, in Peter's favor and Paul's favor. I'm sorry. This guy? I'd say, yeah, okay, we forgive you. Now go to some other church and bless them. But he didn't say that. You know what I'm telling you? I'm telling you God recycles. You've seen it and seen it and seen it and seen it and seen it. You say, whoa, 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 whoa. You only showed us four. What about you? You don't want me to talk about you tonight, do you? Would somebody like to give me the next illustration for my next point? Would somebody like to come up and tell me something? You know, guys, I, I figured this out after I got saved. There's only two kinds of sin in the world. Not mortal and venial. You know two kinds of sin? The sins you brag about and the sins you're ashamed of. I remember being a drunk in a bar and we would sit around a table sipping beers bragging about our sin. And all the time we are talking about it. I'll guarantee you, I knew this about me and these guys all knew about them. We all knew things about ourselves we didn't want anybody at that table to find out about. And I say it this way, if the person sitting next to you right now knew about you what you know about yourself, they would move over. Amen. Your wife would have to move way over. It's hard to get away from you, Danny. 
But really, and it's not because they're better than you. They would just feel better about it. Isn't that true? Now think about this. You know what real love is? Real love isn't somebody that loves you because you did something nice for them and you were kind to them and you said good things about you. You know what real love is? Real love is when somebody knows the truth about you and does not forsake you. And Jesus Christ knows that truth about you. He knows the thing that not only would your friends abandon you for, but some of you aren't even too keen on yourself for. And he knew it when he went to the cross. And he did not abandon you. Hey, if when he said, my God, my God, I mean, you know he's probably looking? He's probably looking at my record or yours. I got to die for that. Could you, could you just let this cup pass for me? Can I just come home? And if the Lord would have, if God would have said, yes, son, come on home. Let him go to hell. Heaven would still be a heaven. We'd be, we'd be damned, and heaven wouldn't be poor for it. But he went to the cross knowing the truth about Sam Gibb and the truth about every person here and every person in Auburn and New York and the United States and the world. He knew not the ones that they, he, not just the ones they were, they were bragging about, but he knew the ones that every one of us are ashamed of. And what are some of you doing in church tonight? What are some of you doing, passing out gospel tracts and winning people to the Lord? What are some of you doing? Well, you said, yeah, I know, I know. Don't you understand? You would have fired you a long time ago. But this God recycles. And I'm so glad. I'm not keen on what David did. I'm not keen on what Peter did. I'm not keen on what Paul did. I'm certainly not keen on what this guy did. But I'm sure keen on what God did. Because I am no better than any one of these men. I am no better than that guy. And I, listen, I didn't do, I've never done what that guy did in 1 Corinthians 5, okay? But I am no better than him. And if God said tonight, Gip, don't ever step behind a pulpit again, and you know why, I would understand it. What in the world am I doing here? What am I doing here? Oh, I know why. Because he recycles. And so I say this again, guys. The two, the, the two attributes of God that, that the, more, the longer I live, the, 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 the two attributes of God that, that impress me the most Mercy and grace. Mercy is not getting the bad you deserve, and grace is getting good that you don't deserve. And don't we get that every single day? I'd like you to stand with your heads bowed. Your heads bowed, your eyes closed. We're not looking for confession of sin tonight. You don't have to stand up, raise your hand, and say, Let me tell you the horrible thing I did. Nope, nope, not even interested. Because we might find out you're as bad as me. And if you guys knew me, you'd throw me out the door and lock it. But God knows. He let me come here anyway. Here you stand. God could have splattered some of you along the highway. God could have seized up your heart walking down the street. God could have just popped you in the head one time. 
and let you just lay in the bed staring at the ceiling for the next 20 years. And here you stand. What a God. Mercy and grace. Now I'm going to have a word of prayer. When I get done praying, then the organ is going to begin to play. Maybe you need to come up and say, Oh Lord, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. I don't think you have to tell every, everybody every, every sordid story about your past. The two most important individuals already know, you and God. But maybe you ought to say, dear Lord, thank you so much. Thank you so much. If you, if you would lock the doors when I was heading for them and tell the pastor, don't let that guy in, I would understand it. But what a God. Thank you, Father, for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. I thrive on both. And I am all four of these men, God. I am as wicked as, as David and as wicked and hard-hearted as Paul. I'm as bad as proud as Peter or Peter and Paul and, and this guy in 1 Corinthians 5. Those four men you described in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, when you said their heart was deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And God, that same verse describes me and that same verse describes every person in this room. And the only thing that makes the difference, the only reason we are standing here holding our heads up is the blood of your only begotten son. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. God, there are some people here that you've probably already forgiven. They need to forgive themselves because they have no business holding judgment over somebody that you have rescinded it on. So use these people, God, because they are human. That's the worst thing I can say about them. They are human. The, the song says, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. That's how we are. And then sometimes people do. And then you welcome us back. What a God. I pray somebody gets some peace for being in church tonight. And then they spend the rest of their life living in such a way that people say things that are good about God. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. With your heads